Front Church podcast in New York City, where our vision is to see lives, neighborhoods, and our city renewed of Jesus. One thing I think that uh, always impresses me every time I come here is the uh, creativeness you got, creativity you guys put into your bumper videos. Um, my friend Matt Kern, Kern Cakes, as some of you all know him. I mean, he just has an eye for things. I remember when he came down to Philly to uh, drive, uh, drive around and take pictures and shoot videos. He would stop me mid-sentence and say, stop. It's as if, like, the light flashed and he just had a vision and he would stop us and go take pictures of stuff. Uh, so I just love that guy, man, and love his creativity. Uh, I want to thank uh, some people. Uh, I want to thank uh, the team of restoration that has come up here with me today. Thank you. Uh, that's right. Give God a hand of praise for them. Uh, they sacrificed much to do so, uh, to get up early and then to drive here. Thank you guys so much for that. And then we're going to meet again tonight if it don't snow us out. Uh, so, but just, you know, give us some uh, prayer. Uh, I have uh, Pastor AJ here who is my teammate. Uh, grateful for him. Some of you all know him as the guy with the dreadlocks, and he cut them out off on his own. You know, just wanted to say that. Um, thankful for Rob Williams here. He's our worship creative arts director and, uh, and his brilliance that he brings to the screen. And thank you, singers, uh, band, and musicians. Uh, I think I said earlier, minstrels. You know, thank you guys for letting the Lord use you. You had to be technical and deep. You know, I just had to. But um, thank you guys so much for having me. Uh, Jonathan, I don't see you in here. Oh, there you are. I praise the Lord for you. That's a dear friend of mine. Uh, the Lord has allowed him to be a blessing to me more than you know, more even than he knows at times. I remember one time I called him, just called him one day, and I had just been up all night like, Lord, church plan issues. How are we going to get this stuff from one place to the next place? And all of a sudden, Jonathan calls me out of the clear blue sky, just out of the clear blue sky, and tells me about the fact that he bought a beat-up van. I said, the Lord is good. And we went and bought a beat-up van uh, for just a little bit more than what you paid for your beat-up van. And so, but we're decking it out so that it's a secure beat-up van. It'll be like Fort Knox so people can't break in there and steal our stuff. But uh, praise the Lord for that. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to Ruth chapter 2. Ruth chapter 2. Now, as you're going there, I want to forewarn you. I, I don't mind you speaking back to me, okay? So if I say something and you feel an amen in your soul, shout it back at me. Uh, it's not disrespectful. I won't be offended. I will be offended if you stand up and say, shut up. Uh, you know, I will be offended. That's not kosher. But, but you can stand up at least and say amen. Ruth 2. If you're there, say I'm there. All right, we'll start reading here. It says... Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean amongst the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And uh, she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Say Boaz. Just want to see if you were with me. Who was the, of the clan of Elimelech? And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to his reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young men who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? 
The servant was in charge of the reapers answered. She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves for after the reapers. So she came and she was, has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to the people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you've done. A full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Say refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and passed to, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied and she had some leftovers. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an epoch of barley. And she took it and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw that she, what she had gleaned, and she said, uh, saw what she had bought and gave her food that was basically her leftovers. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where did you work? Because uh, blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name, which whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord, whose loving kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter, it's good, my daughter, that you go with, these, with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Help me announce this topic and turn to the person to the other side of you and say, neighbor, today we're going to talk about the master's hand in the coincidence. Turn to the person on the other side and say, neighbor. How do I identify his hand? All right, look this way. That's my part. Let's pray. (laughs) Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity we have to crack open your word. Lord, it is uh, true and living and sharper than any two-edged sword, and we pray that as I stand here for this short time and proclaim what you're saying in this text to your people, I pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, heart to obey, and feet to walk after you. Lord, I pray that you let me decrease, that you might increase. Hide me behind your cross, Jesus, so that at the end of the day, people see you and not me, and that your name would be lifted high. Challenge us, push us, encourage us, build us up. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray this prayer. Amen. In his book, 
David Axelrod wrote about his first encounter with the president with the funny name, Barack Obama. It was in 1992 that they met in a diner in Chicago, and David Axelrod, Axelrod writes in his book, Believer, and talks about how impressed he was by meeting Barack Obama. This is the first black man to ever be, to hold the position of editor of the Harvard, I mean, of the Harvard Law Review. He was impressed by that. He was well respected in the legal field. His colleagues looked up to him and, and in fact, major law firms pursued him. And this impressed David Axelrod. He was impressed about the fact that although this man with this funny name had uh, so much in front of him and so many people pursuing him, but rather he made a decision to stay back and to, to register people to vote in some of the worst neighborhoods in the city of Chicago. Little did David Axelrod know that in less than 15 years, David Axelrod and Barack Obama would form the greatest team to be able to get him into the office of the president of the United States of America and then to be able to serve two years as his chief advisor. A coincidental meeting, a match that seemed to have been made in heaven. Barack Obama, David Axelrod. Life tends to happen like that sometimes, doesn't it? Life sometimes is filled with many different random occurrences or things that would seem to us like mere coincidence. Life operates that way. This text that we're walking through, there is is a meeting that takes place here that that would have seemed like a coincidence. but, But as we walk through this, we will see that the Spirit is saying to us one thing, and that is this. This text is tailored to teach us that God uses unusual situations and relationships to accomplish his unlikely plans. Let let me say that again. God uses unusual situations and relationships to accomplish his unlikely plans. Let's, Let's talk about the background here. Naomi was a Jewish woman. This book is written in the time of the judges, and we know that the people of Israel walked between two spectrums with God. There was a period where they would obey him and walk with him, obey him, love him, and things would go well. But the very end of Judges says that in these days of Judges, people lived according to however they wanted to live, and God would often pattern this thing by sending a plague to discipline them. Let me just say this. The scripture says that God disciplines those whom he loves. God doesn't just send things into your life because he's bored and has nothing else better to do, but he does it to discipline us, to shape us into the image of his son. So in this text here, we see Naomi who goes with her husband to the land of the Moabites in order to flee the discipline that the Lord was giving her. But many of us, just like Naomi, we oftentimes run from the hand of the Lord. When she goes there, her husband dies. Her two sons die after they marry two Moabites women, which, by the way, was against the the Jewish law to marry women that were not Jewish. Because to marry women that were not Jewish would, would mean that they would probably turn away from God themselves. And the Lord shows up in his hand, judges Naomi and takes her husband and her two sons. Let me tell you this. No matter how far we can go. No matter how much we can harden our hearts, we cannot escape the hand of God. When God wants to come after you to tear up your life, there is not enough education that can block it. There is not enough money that can protect you from it. There aren't enough friends that can shield you. There is not enough job security that can protect you from a pink slip. When God comes after you, you cannot hide from him. 
So she loses her husband and her two kids. And then she hears that apparently the people of Israel have turned and God has visited the land of Bethlehem. It's interesting, that land, it means the house of bread. God has come back and he has allowed bread to grow in this land that had lost it all. Naomi says, I'll go back, which is symbolic to point to the fact that she goes back from Moab to Jerusalem or to Bethlehem says she's going back to God. Some of y'all might be sitting here today and you may have in your heart spliced somewhere. You may have somewhere made a decision to go left when God said go right. The journey back to him is not a far journey because Christ paid for it on the cross. The journey back to him is simply the heart that says I'll go back to God. So they make a decision to go back. And as she's weeping and grieving and she has two daughters named Ruth and Orpah. And she says you guys stay here and go back to your family. After all you have no legal right to me. You don't have to stay here and serve me. You don't have to wipe my tears. God has done what he's done. Stay with your family. Orpah says, deuces, and she goes back home. She says, I'm young enough. I can remarry. I saw this dude on Facebook hit me up the other day, so I'm going to go holler at him. Ruth says, I will not depart from you. I will stay near you. I will. The text says, I will cling to you, meaning I won't let you go at all. Your people will become my people. And your God will become my God. That's a big thing for someone who didn't even worship the living God. She says, I will take on everything about you to be with you. It's interesting that in this time of grief, as Naomi is struggling to hang on for life, God sends a comforter through the person of Ruth. Ruth and Naomi, they show up back in Bethlehem. And while they're there, Naomi is grieving to the point where she can't even take care of herself. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where life has dealt you such a blow where you couldn't even take care of yourself, where you needed someone to come alongside like the Holy Ghost to walk you through just so you can eat that week. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where life has dealt you so hard that you needed some support and some help just to make you face tomorrow. Naomi couldn't even take care of herself, couldn't even go get her own food, couldn't go to the grocery store. And Ruth stands up and says, I will go and glean. Let me go glean after the gleaners so that we can have something to eat. Now, that statement might seem small to you, but it's a big deal because Ruth understands that the moment she makes a decision to go to this field, mind you, it's not in the protection of the city. Ain't no police to watch her. Going to this field means she exits the city and she goes to a large plot of land that is only separated by boundary stones to say whose property is who. And because she's a foreigner, She runs the risk of being molested or being assaulted, being raped or killed even or not even given food. She says, let me go and hopefully I'll find favor in someone's eyes. You you have to understand that she was taking on a risk. Let me just tell you this. Sometimes when God is behind the scenes shifting you and moving you, he will push you into a place where risk is inevitable. And oftentimes we as Americans don't like to do that. We don't we don't like to throw our cards on the table and say we will risk it all for the Lord. But sometimes God will have you in a place where you ain't got no choice but to trust him. So she goes out and she says, I hope I can find favor. Hopefully that someone will let me glean. And as she gleans, as she goes behind the people picking the barley and the wheat and she picks up whatever they drop and she's stuffing it in her bag. The text says she just so happened to cross into Boaz's territory. Now, mind you, I said there was no gate to delineate the property. She didn't know. She had no clue who Boaz was. He just so happened to step into his land. Then the text says, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. 
It means that as she stepped into the land and was gleaning, Boaz just so happened to walk on up down the street. Understand that in the mind of the Jewish people, they did not believe in chance or happenstance or fate, as we would call it. But what the author is simply trying to say is that the Lord orchestrated and ordained this meeting for Boaz and Ruth to connect at the appointed time. Let let me let me just stop and say you here. I know some of us think that life is a bunch of random occurrences, but in the economy of God, there is nothing that ever happens just by circumstance, just by chance, just by luck. Just do do you know that, that that in order to win the lottery, you have a chance of being struck by lightning twice before you win it once. That that just goes to show you life does not happen by random happenstance. It's this idea that God who sits high sovereignly on his throne orchestrates the lives of individuals. He orchestrates through our decision making and where we'll go and how we'll do it just for us to be able to meet up. God randomly puts these two people together. Sometimes God will set some people in front of you when you least expect him to do it. Sometimes there have been people that you've met that you needed to hear a word of encouragement and nobody knew what you was going through. But at that appointed time, out of all the places you could have been on the subway, this man walks up and says something to you that encourages your soul. God is able to providentially make things happen. He's able to providentially make things move. He just so happens to come. And she just so happens to be there. Boaz comes up and he sees her. He sees his friends and he greets the workers in the vineyard, in, in, the, in the harvest field. And he greets them and he says, hey, how you doing? And then he says, whose woman is that? Now, you got to understand, he's not saying, what's her name? Where is she from? But, but he sees her and he feels a bit of an attraction for her. He says, who's her husband? What clan she come from? She looks like she stands out a bit. She doesn't look like the women that I've seen here the other day. Something about her stands out. Who is that woman? Whose is that woman? Let me just say this. Sometimes God will cause people to notice you. Ain't nothing special about you. You think that you actually brought something to the table and you done got a job that somebody else was better qualified for because God allowed someone to notice you. Ain't nothing big about us. Ain't nothing that we bring to the table. But God so meticulously plans and places people in front of us for his purposes. He notices her. Says, whose is this? Now, Ruth is probably more than likely getting up and getting ready to head home. She says, I came here specifically just to glean in this field. I don't want no attention. I don't want nobody looking at me because he could mean me danger. She notices that this man had just gotten off his horse and and he's looking and pointing and talking about her. She notices that the guards who had been watching over the field are now looking and talking about her and she gets up in fear to leave. And Boaz says to her daughter, that's subtle, but but what he's doing is he's, he's showing her concern. Interesting, they describe this woman as a Moabite, which says she's out of reach. You ain't supposed to talk to her. She's really not supposed to be here. But he says to her daughter, He takes an interest and a concern for her. Sometimes God will put people around you that you don't even understand why they have taken an interest and a concern for you. And some of us are so busy trying to push people away because we don't want nobody's help and we want to be independent and we want to do it ourselves. But God is sending people to help you sometimes. She notices he notices her 
And he says to her, don't leave this field. Glean here. In fact, glean after these women because these women have been gleaning here for months. And so they know where my property line is. They know not to go too far over here or too far over there. And if if they do, and if you do, I have no way to protect you because you're out of my purview. God provides protection for her. He says, stay right here. Glean here. He says, and, and then when you're thirsty... Don't 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 drink your spit. I remember my mother used to tell me as a kid when we'd be thirsty in the car on a long journey somewhere driving down south. Yeah, that's what we did. Driving down south and we would be like, I'm thirsty. Drink your spit. That sounds harsh. I know. But that's the type of stuff my mama used to say to me. Love her dearly. He says, don't drink your spit. Don't wipe your hands and put your sweat in your mouth. He says, when you're thirsty, I want you to drink the honored water. The water that the men have chosen for themselves to drink and none of these other women can drink it but you. Sometimes God can set you in a place and lift you to a place of honor where you know you ain't got no right to be, but he can place you there. He says, I want you to drink after these men. The news of what she hears after he has providentially planned and made this happen, it brings her to her knees. She drops down in the dirt. And she puts her face down and she says to Boaz, what have I done to deserve such favor? I'm a foreigner. I'm not even from your land. I'm not a part of the covenant people of God. Why have you shown love to me? And Boaz says to her, everything that you've done since your mother lost her sons and her husband, I've heard about it. He says, I've heard what you've done. You had every legal right to stay home, but I heard the fact that you showed your mother-in-law Hesed. Let me let me talk about what that Hesed is. Hesed is a Jewish, a Hebrew term that that is so deep and rich and full of memory, uh, for, for, full of meaning that we can't even put nothing on it. But so we have to merge two words together to describe it. And that's where the word comes. Loving kindness. He says that Ruth was going through, but God used you to show her loving kindness. God showed you to to show her how much he loves her and how kind he wants to be to her, wrapped in how loyal he is to her, even in her unfaithfulness. He says, God used you to show Naomi that loving kindness. Here it is. God sometimes can provide through you. God will use you to show people loving kindness. God don't just mysteriously just massage cats on their shoulders. When we're in need, God sends people to help us. He says, I noticed the loving kindness you have shown. And then he says how you left your family. Very similar to Abraham. You left everything that you knew that was comfortable and familiar to join what was unfamiliar. He says, may the Lord repay you for it. May the Lord, the God of Israel, repay you double time for it. Under whose wings you have taken refuge. We don't understand that because none of us live in the country where we see bald eagles. But eagles, when they're perched in their nest and they have babies, they take their wing and they use their wing to shield their babies from the elements. He says, you have come to the point of taking the Lord as your refuge and he hides you under his wings. Listen, when you've placed your faith in God through Christ Jesus, the Lord puts you under his wing. And while he does not protect you from everything, he provides exactly what you need under his wing. I remember when I was a kid, my mother, we ain't have a lot of money. And I remember in our house in Chicago, it was winter. And I don't know if you've ever been to Chicago in the winter, but Chicago in the winter can take your breath away. Walk out that door, be breathing and snot freeze up on your beard. Yes, it does. 
Chicago, talk and have a conversation in that 40 below zero and your lips freeze and you start mumbling words that weather. I remember one day the the heater went out, the furnace stopped working. And my mother said, I don't I don't have the money to fix this. So she goes into the white pages, the yellow pages, and she finds this guy who comes to the house to fix the furnace. And as he's down there and he's doing his work, he comes up with an estimate and says, this is going to cost you to the tune of seven thousand dollars. It's almost better for you to get a better furnace. And my mother broke down in tears and said, I don't have seven thousand dollars to get a furnace. The man goes back downstairs and while he's down there, something happens to him and he comes back upstairs and says, you know what? I had a stroke of conscience here. I can't leave this house and know that you and your kids will be in the cold. Count what I've done as free. Have a blessed day. When you sit up under the wing of God, when you walk under him and you walk faithfully with him because of the faithfulness he has shown you, God will provide for you in ways that you least expect it. All of a sudden you see somebody give you the exact amount of money that you need to pay that exact bill that's going to get cut off next month. And God has mysteriously provided it. God providentially provides. He says, you've taken refuge But then she says, I found favor. Thank you for this. But then he goes on and he says, have lunch with me. They got to understand how foreign that was. That that wouldn't have happened at all. She says, he says, come sit down with me. And as he sits down, he passes her the grain to dip in the wine. So she's eating fancy. She eats so much that she has leftovers to take home for her mother. And then he says, I want you to glean here. In fact, men don't stop her from gleaning. But instead, pull stalks out of your bunch and let them fall on the ground so that she could pick up what you drop. She comes there empty. He prays that God would repay her. But little did he know that God would use him to show God, show her God's hesed. See, not only is God able to provide for you, he's able to provide through you. See, Boaz, the diamond flips here. Boaz was only legally obligated to let her just get enough food to eat for that day. That would have been his legal obligation, and he'd have been right. But Boaz takes it to the point where he gives her space to glean. He feeds her his special food till she gets full. He gives her enough where the text says she has an epoch of barley, which is literally 75 pounds, 50 pounds of barley, enough to last her and her mother weeks. See, when the Lord shows kindness to you, by his grace, he, he, he doesn't give you stuff just to be used on you. And, and oftentimes we want to just give the bare minimum. How much do I have to give to satisfy my conscience? And the Lord says, well, I gave more than you can ever give when I sent my son Jesus to not give a portion of his life, but to give his entire life for your sins. So I call you then to have a spirit of generosity so that I can use you to show somebody else my love and kindness. He uses Boaz to pour out this loving kindness. God providentially provides. But then as she's going home, Ruth is lugging this big bag. She went with a small pouch, barely anything in it but lint. She's lugging this very large bag and she comes in the house. This depressed woman, Ruth, who's sitting on the couch watching Judge Judy. You know you're depressed when you're watching that all day. Naomi steps up off the couch and says, oh, my gosh, where where, where did you glean? What 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 man is it that lets you glean? 
She says, well, you know, there was a guy there. His name was Boaz, and he let me get this. In fact, he told me I can, I can work with his men for protection, and he said I can do it for the rest of the year. She says, yeah, 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 you stay with that guy. You, you stay with that guy. But then she says something that's very nice here. She blesses him. She says, may the Lord bless him, the Lord, who has not forsaken the living or the dead. In chapter one, she says, don't call me Naomi because I'm not full, but call me Mara, which means I'm bitter because the Lord has dealt me wrong. But now she's standing up and said, God who dealt me wrong has not forsaken the living or the dead. See, God will do things for you and to you when you're going through tough times to remind you that he's still with you. There are some people in this room right now. You need a reminder from the Lord to show you that he is with you. You haven't seen things gone right in months. You haven't sensed him in your prayer in months. You haven't sensed him in your scriptures in months. And God wants to remind you that he's with you and has not forsaken you. But then he providentially points because she says to him, stay with that guy. Blessings to him. But he's a close relative of ours, not just your cousin. But he's your redeemer. He's your goal. See, you got to understand where this comes from. This comes from Leviticus 25, where it said that if a person is so poor where they have to sell off their property, the redeemer, the kinsman redeemer, the goal stands up and he buys the property back to restore you to where you were before you lost it. He says, if if a person was so poor that they had to turn themselves into slavery to be able to pay their bills, the redeemer, the goel, stands up and he purchases her property back so that she no longer has to sell herself into slavery. The goel, the redeemer. This this is the one that when someone is wronged and they aren't able to defend themselves, the goel redeemer stands up and he avenges for them so that they can be restored to the place they were before. See, God providentially points forward because God's bringing Ruth together with this man named Boaz meant that they would produce a son named Obed. And when they produce a son named Obed, Obed would produce a son named Jesse. And when Jesse produces a son, he produces a son named David. And this is why Isaiah 11 points to the fact that from the root of David, there will come the Messiah. Without God bringing them together, there is no future to point to. God had to providentially bring them together so that the Redeemer that Matthew 20 talks about to to come and ransom himself for us, to save us from our sin, to save us from our brokenness, to save us from our pain, to save us from our hell. God sends Jesus the Redeemer. Boaz merely points forward to him. So if God providentially works through circumstances, why do we need to be afraid? If God is able to bring pieces of a puzzle together that we can't even fathom being brought together, why do we need to fear when we can't pay our bills? If God can work in ways that we cannot understand, why do we lack trust in him when difficulty happens? I'll tell you a story. I remember when I was younger, a few years ago, actually, you know, of course, a few years ago, I would be younger. A few years ago, I wanted to go to this parade. I knew of this school in the area that had this amazing float that I wanted to see. I was very excited to see this float because I knew people that helped design this float. I knew the dance troupe that would be in front of it that rehearsed for months to be able to get this routine down. I wanted to be there at that parade. 
Someone dies and had to go to a funeral, so I get there late, it figures. And as I get there, I stand the only place I can possibly stand in the midst of the crowd. While I'm standing there, I can't see anything. I'm standing on the edge of the curb, and I'm trying to peek over people's shoulders. I stand on the fire hydrant, and as you can see, the Lord has, has a sense of humor, so he made me short, so I could not see. And as I was trying to strain my eyes to see, all I could hear was stomping and music and cars riding past. My friend Robert recognizes me. Robert says, Watson, I see you over there, man. Why, why, why don't you come over here? He says, let's go up to my third floor balcony and we can eat and drink up there. He says, my third floor balcony, you can see a lot. Go up to the third floor balcony. Not only do I see the float with the dance troupe that I wanted to see, but I see the beginning of the parade, the middle of the parade, and the end of the parade. Whereas I could not see the parade before because all of the things were standing in front and I could not see it. The changing of my vantage point allowed me to see the parade in all its beauty. You see, God, like me on a third floor, sits in a higher spot than all of us. And God is able to see your life and every detail of it. He knows what's around the corner waiting for you. He knows what's away from you a few months. He knows your beginning, your middle, and your end. And what God invites us to do is to not fear life, not to just take whatever happens to us, but to walk with him and understand and get our vantage points and our perspectives twisted. God is saying to you today, will you allow him to twist your vantage point? Will you allow him to make you see what he sees? James says that when you find yourself in diverse temptations, to count it a joy. He says, but if you lack wisdom, it's strange that he brings that up because why are you talking about wisdom here? What he's simply saying, if you lack the ability to see God's perspective in the matter, ask God and he'll give it to you. This means that when life deals you a blow, as it will, if it ain't dealt you a blow yet, you keep on living. You, you keep on living and watch some loved ones die. You keep on living and watch someone stick a knife in your chest. You keep on living and watch things disappoint you. When life deals you a blow, God says, come to me and I'll give you my counsel. Guess what his counsel is? His counsel is the scripture. You want to know what God is thinking? Get in his book and understand what he's thinking. When you get in his book, then life won't throw you for a loop when it comes and knocks you down. You're able to say, I, I saw this coming because Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted. And if I suffered, then you got to suffer. Or, or, or you'll be able to see that all things work together for the good of them who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose in his word. God is saying, will you shift your perspective and your vantage point to see his hand in the coincidences of life? Nothing in your life is by chance. Nothing. Proverbs says, talks about how. Throwing lots, many people see that as gambling, how we throw lots, but God ultimately makes the decision. Paul says, he says, God works everything according to the counsel of his wisdom. God makes it happen. God knows your future, my future, the middle and the end of our life. So why not trust the one who wrote the book? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Because you are good. Lord, sometimes we need to be reoriented to see your hand. God, I, I confess that many times I don't see it. Many times I can be discouraged because I don't see it. 
But as you have paired Ruth and Boaz, two unlikely couples, an unlikely couple, Lord, a woman from another country with a man who is older, you paired them together to work out your plan of bringing Christ. And in the midst of that, you worked it out to provide for she and Naomi. And as we read further on, we'll see that that Boaz will be the one to step up to redeem them from their losses. We thank you, God, that in your wisdom, you work things for your glory. We confess, Father, we don't always know what that is, but we thank you that we have Jesus to fix our eyes on and that even if we don't understand life, we can take refuge under the safety of your wings. And so, Father, reorient our hearts, reorient our minds and help us to walk for you to the glory of Christ. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.